The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to NeuroMatters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to our program on Alzheimer's disease and the dementias. We have a challenging and interesting topic to discuss with all of you this afternoon. I suppose that from the time there were two people on this earth, there was one trying to take advantage of the other. And our topic for discussion this evening is a growing problem. It's the problem of financial exploitation of older individuals. And we have two people who are knowledgeable in this area and who have made a commitment to do what they can to correct some of the problems in this area. We will be interviewing them. The first is Dr. Jeff LaFrance. Uh, Dr. Uh, I'm sorry, Sergeant Jeff Thank LaFrance. You. Thank you I promoted that. you, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> Let your, uh, that should be reflected in your bank account. <laughs> uh, Jeff is the um, director of the fraud division of the Abilene Police Department and has been involved with fraud um, uh, investigations for over 10 years. And joining us as well is Marilyn Shedd. Marilyn is the president of First Financial Bank, which is an excellent banking system that we'll talk more about in just a little bit. First of all, Jeff, this whole issue of uh, financial exploitation of the elderly, how big a problem is that? Uh, basically, it's uh, uh, about $2.9 billion a year. Is what most of the AARP and those type of uh, uh, companies are, are projecting. Um, in Texas itself, uh, I think DP or, uh, Adult Protective Services investigated about 87,000 uh, cases in 2013, and out of those, almost 70,000 were sustained. So it's it's a it's a big problem. Abilene, of course, is a little smaller than that, but. Uh, in Abilene, we probably average losing about two hundred thousand a year to what we consider as preventable fraud and um, exploitation. So that is a sizable sum of money. Who is it that um, uh, commits these crimes? We really believe most of the cases we see are going to be family members, caretakers, um, friends, that kind of a deal. It's usually somebody that the victim knows. So most commonly, somebody the victim knows, which means there's an implicit trust there. And in fact, I've read that that there's sort of a sequence of events that take place, isolation, manipulation, intimidation, and fear. I don't know if that's a model that that the police department works from, but, but that makes sense in terms of the sequence of events that often take place with things like this. It does. It provides people an opportunity and the knowledge that they can take advantage of this person. Um, again, it comes from somebody they usually know. And again, this is unique. This is toward exploitation. We have scams and other things that are 
uh, have a different type of MO, but uh, in relation to exploitation, yes, it's generally somebody they know or have, or have a trusting relationship with some type with. Well, you had mentioned over your 10 years of fraud investigation that the nature of um, fraudulent crimes has changed significantly, hasn't it? It has. Um, usually, uh, the crimes were either uh, the origin or the destination for the crimes were local. And what we've noticed over the last 10 years is that really hasn't decreased. We've just added uh, technology to it, which makes people in Abilene and smaller communities more vulnerable to international crime. So how does the technology come into play? Um, you have greater access to people and personal information. Um, they receive calls from, uh, you know, all over the world, uh, emails, uh, spam. Uh, there, there's, a you know, probably five or six different ways you can actually think of that people can come into your home now, uh, you know, through the computer and whatnot. Um, that they can solicit your information, act like they know you, and take advantage of you. You know, I mentioned to you before we began the show that my neighbor, who is a wonderful gentleman in his mid-70s, received a call a few weeks ago, and the caller said, your son is in Mexico and was arrested on fraudulent charges, and if you send us, I think it was 2000 or $2,500, we think we can get him out pretty quickly. And, of course, needless to say, the Mexican border is much in the news these days. Um, my uh, neighbor's son-in-law is actually a Texas Ranger, so he pointed out to the caller that he would have his son-in-law look into it, after which there wasn't much more conversation to be had. But that's one of the, one of the ways, who knows where that call may have originated, um, in which uh, the taking advantage of even low-level technology. Uh, yes, sir. And as a matter of fact, in that type of uh, instance, uh, that's what we suggest to people. If anybody calls you and demands or wants money, uh, we call that one in particular the grandparent scam. But if somebody calls and wants money or something you're uncomfortable with, if nothing else, tell them, oh, I've got to clear that with my son or whoever. And make up somebody and say they're a police officer or whatnot. Generally, that person wants to go on to an easy target. They don't want to have to you to double check with your family. So, mm -hmm. you had mentioned also the speed with which these types of crimes are committed. Uh, I hope I think Marilyn's probably more familiar with that than I am. But <laughs> you know, generally with debit cards uh, anymore and uh, money pack uh, green dot cards, you can transfer money uh, within minutes to three or four different accounts or cards. It makes anything that I can pretty much do with a subpoena irrelevant. You know, the money's long gone by the time we would get there. What's the average um, size of the financial take in scams that are going on these days? Uh, probably in a neighborhood of 500 to 4,000. So yeah. they're, they're big enough to make it worth the crook's while. Oh yes, it's 100% profit if the, if the victim falls for it. Yeah. You know, they're out a little bit of phone call money maybe, which with Skype and other things makes it very easy, or the uh, printing of a check, a counterfeit check, which is pennies. Mm -hmm. So, Now, Marilyn, you are the president of First Financial Bank, and you preside over an outstanding organization, a bank that has been recognized nationally four out of the last five years. Am I getting that correct? Yes. Correct. Thank you. 
Um, and uh, we are very fortunate to have this bank in Abilene. Obviously, when people have worked to put money aside for retirement, they've worked to accumulate some assets that will be helpful to them in later years, that's going to involve some kind of financial institution, right? And, and, and so when, uh, I don't know who initiated the partnership that came together here, but uh, I was really excited to hear in the news a month or six weeks ago that First Financial and Abilene Police Department and I believe the Better Business Bureau had partnered up to address these things. So what can a bank do about this? Well, I will tell you uh, the partnership between the police department and the bank came about because we were both trying to fight the same battle and just on different fronts. And we thought Scott Deeser, who is our chairman, actually came up with the idea of involving the police department because we, again, are looking for the same perpetrators. We're looking for the same uh, and trying to help the same victims. And so we developed a, some criteria, some training criteria for all of our employees. Unfortunately, we have seen a significant rise in the cases that we deal with on a weekly and monthly basis. And I would say... We have multiple cases a week now that come across our our Bank's uh, Secrecy Act officers that look at accounts, and we do have software that detects unusual activity on accounts oftentimes, and so we do investigate first internally to see whether we feel like it's worth elevating to the police department, but oftentimes... We've had instances where people have actually, the elderly have been in our teller lines requesting to withdraw large amounts of cash, and we've been able, and oftentimes they do not want to hear that they, that that we ask questions or we, you know, we try to inquire as to why they're asking for so much cash, and are they sure, and, you know, it's not safe to walk out of the bank with that much cash. Oftentimes, they're very persistent because they are convinced that they need to do this to to win the lottery or to, you know, help a relative or something like that. But so there's some type of urgent or time-sensitive situation yes. that they're responding to. Yes. But when we say, can you give us just a moment and maybe have someone come down to consult with you? And we have called the police department on the spot sometimes, and they will come and sit down with that person, and they will listen to the police officers, you know, oftentimes when, so that collaboration has been so helpful to us. Well, that really is excellent because you have already established the mechanisms of communication. These things are in place. The police department knows what you want. You know what they can provide, and that does make it a lot easier, but there is hesitancy for someone to acknowledge the possibility that they could be being scammed, right? Right. In fact, Jeff, what percentage of um, of these types of events where someone is successfully scammed, what percentage do you think are actually reported? I've heard different figures, and honestly speaking, it's very hard to put a number on it, but I would, pro- I would guess in a neighborhood of five to one is wow. unreported. Wow. And so if we look at a city the size of Abilene, mm-hmm. 100, 110,000 people, and you said how many a week that that you may be coming in touch with? I would with? say two to three. Two to week. three a week, mm-hmm. which means that there are another eight to 12 per week that are actually taking place and not being reported. Mm-hmm. I would think that's a fair assessment. I mean, uh, you figure if we lose about 200 grand uh, now that we know about, 
I would think a million's a pretty safe bet in a year if we fully had it reported. And don't forget, First Financial's investigating with in partnership with their with their customers. They want their customers to be informed. So when they're talking to them, a lot of times sensitive matter because it's a family member they're talking about or a caregiver they're talking about. And a lot of times these are the only lifelines they have in, in, in this world. These are people they trust. And if um, in talking with the bank, if, if they figure out this person I can't trust, what do they do now? So there's a lot of fear and even acknowledging the truth. Very good point. So they have a family member, let's say, or a friend or a confidant of some sort saying, this is the thing to do. And they have a, a business partner, but essentially total stranger saying, are you sure this is what you want to do? That does become a, a crisis of trust. Who do they go with? Um, with the banking system, who is the stopgap person? Is it the teller? Many times it is the frontline person that is the teller or a, um, a new accounts representative that's opening accounts for people. Sometimes they will come in with their new best friend that, that is their you know caregiver or someone that has convinced them that they need to be a signer on their account. And so oftentimes it is those frontline people, but we've had people from all across the bank. We've had lenders be approached by an elderly person to borrow some money suddenly. Oh my goodness, to borrow money to borrow as part money. of the scam. And so it has touched nearly every area of the bank. Of course, our wire transfer area, our customer service uh, phone center area. So there are a lot of different avenues, and that's why we have developed a training that's mandatory across the board through our company. And I do realize that when we talk about being able to call the police and have them on the spot, it's not feasible in, in all communities to do that. There are much larger communities that don't have that advantage that we do here, but it is I think important to at least alert the authorities, whether it's the police department or the adult protective services, we are required now to report those to the appropriate authorities if we do suspect harm to someone. I really appreciate the efforts that you have made. We are going to go to a break. And when we return, we will follow up on this discussion with Marilyn Shedd, president of First Financial Bank, and with Jeff LaFrance, uh, Sergeant Jeff LaFrance, the head of fraud division at the Abilene Police Department. So please stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. 
Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. By making some important changes in your life, you can move forward from where you are to where you wish to be. It is becoming the change you want to see. It can be a sort of experiment, if you will. On Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time, your host, Dr. Serena Wadwa, will introduce you to ideas that can help improve your health, relationships, and finances. You probably have at least one part of your life that needs improving. Make an appointment now to join us every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Thank you for staying with us. We are here with Marilyn Chedd, President of First Financial Bank, and Sergeant Jeff LaFrance, Head of the Fraud Division of the Abilene Police Department, and we're talking about financial exploitation of the elderly. Marilyn, we were talking about the bank's response, the training that's being done so that individuals at the bank who are on the front lines can recognize, identify situations in which someone may be in the process of being set up and making some financial transactions. And there's a certain trust factor. Do they trust the person that's setting them up, which may be someone they know well, or do they trust the bank person um, who is someone they don't know but have a business relationship with? There is an explicit confidentiality between an individual customer and a bank. How does that come into play? What is a bank permitted legally to do? when they see a potential problem situation? Well, for years, it is such a fine line because you do have to be careful for privacy factors. And we have had some of the elderly come to us and say specifically that they do not want their family member to know these things because either they are into it so deeply that they're kind of ashamed of what they've done and they don't want to share it or they just feel like they may win the lottery and they want to surprise their family member. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is a very fine line that we have to walk. But several governing bodies last September, in September of 2013, came together, including the uh, CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the OCC, which is the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, the FDIC, SEC, several of them came together knowing that the banks or the financial institutions had the best venue to determine or to spot financial abuse. And so they allowed us to share certain details that are non-public information with the local authorities to try to help these people. And so that helped us a lot from the standpoint of being able to disclose certain things to our local authorities that could help us. So that does give you legal protection and gives you latitude for error, right? There is latitude for error. If there's a reasonable expectation that there's crime being committed, 
you are still permitted to yes. break confidentiality. Yes. And I will tell you, sometimes we have to just use judgment, too. We had a certain instance where an uh, elderly woman was the only signer on her account, no beneficiary, no ties to anyone, but she, we could tell through the activity on her account that she had been withdrawing large sums of money, and, and she actually came to one of our lending officers to ask for a loan, and it just triggered a red flag. Why should she need to borrow funds at this, you know, state in her life? And so we tried to t determine enough information. She was adamant that she did not want to share this with her family. But honestly, we did uncover that she had a family member that we knew very well that was also a very good customer of the bank. And we were fearful that she was going to continue to lose money because she had already sent a lot mm -hmm. of wires out of the country, etc. So we did disclose that in good faith to her son. And, you know, that may be crossing the law or crossing, <laughs> but it did save her from, having, from continuing to do this. And her son was able to visit with her, got on her account, and, and helped her monitor that type of activity. I don't know that Congress could ever write enough laws to offset the value of good human judgment. I agree. <laughs> I don't know how well that stands up in court, I know. <laughs> but it's the way I feel about it. You know, the comment on what Marilyn's talking about, I think the important thing to remember is First Financial is not getting a... Uh, financial gain out of this. They determined this is the difference between right and wrong and they were able to, they wanted to take a stand. I mean, the training of their tellers and the brochures that they volunteered to print uh, to help these people out is out of their out of their pocketbooks. So, they're really committed to this. So, we appreciate that as a police department. So, Jeff, as a fraud investigator, you get a call from the bank, you hear a story like this, what do you suspect is going on in a situation like that? Um, in that particular, uh, I'll just speak in general because we've, we've had probably 10 or 15 communications in the last few months of loan officers or somebody who has suspicious infer, you know, uh, instance occurring, so we, we talk about the possibilities. Is this illegal or is this something we can get involved with? Um, one, they try to handle it on the lowest level. They, they want family involved. You know, they want uh, somebody to check into the matter. Um, and, you know, their resources are going to be limited just like ours are limited. We have to depend on each other a little bit. Uh, but it's important to remember if we call First Financial and we ask for, you know, information, sometimes we're going to be told no. You know, hey, that's protected by their customers. So we, we do work in uh, combination with that. And I forgot your question. Well, just thinking, what what do you think, based on your experience, is going on behind the scenes? Uh, it, a lot of the situations, uh, it's uh, family members, you know, or caretakers taking advantage of the person. They might say, uh, you know, I, I had this business and it was faltering. I just need a little bit to get it started again. And the whole time, there's not a business. There's not a uh, oh, this is I just see. a pipeline. They're, they're just going to keep feeding the money. But it's like with my own mom. I could tell my mom, my own mom anything, and she allows me, she's going to believe me, she's going to give me what I ask for. So there's a lot of, you know, trust there. I have to be careful what I ask her for because she'll give it to me. If I chose to exploit that, that uh, relationship, uh, it would devastate her. I mean, financially, she would give all she has. And mm -hmm. 
that's what we're experiencing now. Mm-hmm. A lot of Jeff, is it uncommon for there to be incremental withdrawals like this as opposed to a single larger withdrawal and then the bad guy disappears? Definitely. We, we have seen some instances where a caregiver or someone that comes in, it doesn't start out that way, and then slowly but surely they gain the trust of that mm-hmm. individual they sometimes talk them into allowing them to help with their financial affairs and just say, this is too much for you anymore. Could we be a signer on your account? And then we notice little checks, you know, at first, little checks to go for this or that or the other, and it doesn't add up to what that elderly person might need. Mm-hmm. It go, you know, might be going to buy trips or, or, or small things, video games or, <laughs> you know, things like that. But... Uh, it is difficult to detect things like that unless we see usually a larger item that comes across. Mm-hmm. And so if there's a, a larger amount in an individual withdrawal, that would be a flag yes. as opposed to a series of smaller amounts. That's right. And sometimes they'll identify a pattern as well. If you have a person that uh, comes in and has paid the same tree trimmer uh, $350 for the last several months, they talk with the customer and say, you know, how is this working? Mm-hmm. And they take it really well. So mm-hmm. they do a lot of good work in preventing uh, the frauds as well and identifying them. So We have a question emailed in. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, I don't need to tell you, Jeff, there's a gap between catching a bad guy and successful prosecution. But this, the question is, I'm guessing prosecuting someone close to the victim is probably harder than actually catching them. It's very tough. Because a lot of times your victim is going to be your most reluctant witness in that. They don't want to believe this. And um, um, after the money is recovered, if if that happens, a lot of times the victim just wants to forget it. And they want to move on. They don't want the prosecution part of it. Um, it is tough. It's, it's, it's really tough to get a, to get a prosecutable offense for exploitation. Uh, it's, it's a tough deal. And it's, it's not anybody's fault. It's just that we're going to have to have a new way of thinking. We have to protect, you know, the mm-hmm. older and disabled. And for whatever reason, we have to protect them, um, honestly, like you would a child or somebody else who need, who's dependent on you uh, for a relationship or for protection of some type. You, we're going to have to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a, a very good point. And uh, this elderly person then is both embarrassed by the bad decision making and understands that what they say or don't say may result in jail time for somebody they love. Yes. Anytime that there's a lot of new policy change, procedural change in an organization, the people that work in that organization have to buy into it if it's going to go well, right? How, how does that go in a banking institution, a financial institution? You say, we are going to be um, doing the following things differently. We're going to be looking for the following things. Do the bank employees get it? I think it's important for the the direction to come from the top and the management group and to set those expectations for everyone because again you might think that that we and and I appreciate the compliment as far as us being proactive with this but honestly 
banking is about relationships and we have so many relationships as community bankers with people that have been our customers for 50 60 years and we see them sometimes being taken advantage of and it's just so sad so again with the increase and the significant increase over the last couple of years of cases that we've seen that our software even would catch or that, you know, our wire department would call and say, this is an unusual wire going internationally from an 80 year old person. Mm-hmm. And so we just felt like we have got to set some procedures in place and some training in place so that we can try to help these people. They cannot help themselves most of the time. Mm-hmm. And that's something that after the break coming up that I'd like to talk about also the issues of, of, capacity, competency, and things like that. And we'll we'll come to that in just a little bit. But again, I really appreciate the two of you being willing to be here, talk about these things, make the public aware of it. And I hope that at the end of this program, we will be able to say to people, here are things to watch for. Here's A, B, C, D. And here's how to respond when you see these kinds of things going on. Uh, Back to the email question that you had, even though it's difficult to prosecute sometimes, I would say that it's all worth it because many times it's a deterrent and it's also just a a factor that would make someone think again about adding someone to their account or that we can sit down with that person and look and see how much they've lost, you Mm -hmm. know, how much. And oftentimes they just don't think about it until we add it all up and say, this is what you could have had and this is. This is the scam going on. We also did have one success story that was recent where we called the Abilene Police Department. We had a customer that wired some funds to another state and the uh, the recipient on the other side. And Jeff, you may be able to tell this story better than I can. Oh, no. That, it, was, it was a perfect example of this. They called us and informed us about a person that had a cashier's check, I believe, to another state. Um, we get the information. Actually, one of your people left it on my voicemail the night before. So I get there early the next morning. I'm thinking, oh, this is great. So I call up, follow up. We get a hold of the small police department in this other state. We said, look, this is what we have. I don't know if this person's necessarily a knowing suspect or not, but they received a cashier's check. Well, it turned out that they went out and recovered the cashier's check before the person could actually get it cashed. Wow, good work. It was very good. It was about $6,000, I believe so. That is very good work, and it really is important to look at and um, let the world know of the successes as well, because this can be a frustrating undertaking. We're going to go to a break, and when we return, we will continue our discussion of um, financial exploitation of the elderly, so please stay with us. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? 
What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters. The Brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. Thank you for staying with us. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and we are here with Sergeant Jeff LaFrance, the uh, head of the fraud division of Abilene Police Department, and Marilyn Shedd, president of First Financial Bank. We are discussing the topic of financial exploitation of the elderly. And um, before the break, Jeff and Marilyn, you had discussed a very successful uh, recovery of a cashier's check before it could be liquidated, before it could be turned into cash. And I really like hearing stories like that, you know, but prosecution is very difficult and prevention is so much uh, more critically uh, uh, important in having a large impact. So what can you say to older individuals in the community that will have them um, uh, have a sense of more critical judgment, a more critical eye toward possibilities that are presented to them? What do you say to well, that? Well, I know from the police department's point of view, we, we couldn't have enough detectives to investigate all the criminal offenses that potentially occur. We would much rather spend our time partnering with uh, banks and, and First Financial in particular, obviously, with different organizations to prevent the crimes. Because uh, prevention is where you're going to save people money. You know, it's not going to be in a successful prosecution of a case. We'd much rather prevent it. We spend our time in prevention and educating the public. Um, we have a, a presentation. Uh, all they'd have to do is call me at the police department. We'd be happy to send a detective out who will give them a uh, presentation on how to, preve- how to prevent these kinds of uh, occurrences and how to protect their, their family members. So. And as you've said to me, uh, uh, again, prior to the radio program, that you're very happy to partner up with other organizations and other settings as well sure. for that purpose. Sure. Marilyn, what would you say from the standpoint of a banker who's had a bank that has had decades of relationships with people who are now older people? What would you say to these trusting customers of yours? I would say that both from the from the customer and the family members, 
communication is so important in in terms of just being aware of the mental state of your elderly loved ones and trying to gauge whether they have lost any type of cognitive you know realization as far as what they their decision making etc and if you notice anything like that it would be important or or great to sit down with that person and have a conversation about possibly being becoming a signer on their account possibly having a bank send duplicate statements to you so that you can monitor the activity on their account that can be difficult because many elderly folks are independent and they like their independence and they do not and sometimes their their family members are the ones taking advantage of them so we have to be careful on who we advise that way but I would just say also from the elderly perspective if Jeff pointed out a while ago if they will stop if anyone contacts them on the phone or via email or in person to make a decision that they are not completely comfortable with they should stop and say I need to check with my son daughter advisor CPA I need to check on that and let me think about it do not react quickly and and send a large amount of money or react to a letter or an email uh, suddenly and, and send amounts of money that you can't recover later and especially if the caller is seeing a lot of time urgency you have to yes. do this right now right. because they don't want you to make that call they don't want you to check with an outside voice of wisdom or exactly. something along those lines right exactly. finances are obviously very personal things Jeff you've mentioned that your mother is in her 80s and you know she has managed her finances over the years and and she may or may not invite her children into discussions of what her assets are and what her monthly budget is and things like that and Marilyn we come back to this issue of capacity which is mental capacity which is such a difficult issue there's a big chasm between what we see clinically and what happens legally so that a person clinically can have reduced capacity you know memory is not what it was or thinking speed is not what it was but to call that person no longer competent is very different from saying they have diminished capacity and that's a tough step and a big step uh, we did a program actually with the president of the national association of elder law attorneys a couple of months ago on that very topic you know because it is a national issue and as these crimes become more interstate and international as well you know there's a movement for better recognition across state <coughs> boundaries of uh, declarations of competency and that kind of thing well, I know as the points department, um, you know, we have a lot of things that are reported either by family members or just uh, suspicious circumstances. And one of the uh, benefits of being there 10 years is we can apply some prior standards to each individual case. They have their individual merits. You don't want a police department to deciding uh, or making a decision of whether uh, a bad decision on your part renders you incapable of making future decisions. If you can get in your car and drive and decide where you want to eat you can decide how you spend your money you don't want us making that determination but if there's a suspicion that there's something more going on uh, uh, you know we would seek obviously uh, family members to get them to medical care to make those determinations and whatnot but we we really try to be careful and take it on a case-by-case -case basis whether this 
is a potentially bad decision that could have uh, been made by anybody, or if this is a person exploiting uh, somebody's age or you know uh, infirmity of any type for their own personal financial gain. That's a uh, a very good point, um, and. Um, Again, this this whole area of assessing somebody's ability level um, is a very personal area. And it's a very threatening area to older individuals. I uh, um, had a, a similar program several weeks ago on the issue of driving. In fact, it's just as challenging. And one of the recommendations always with this sort of thing is to have communication before capacity declines, a recognition within the family that as dad and mom you get older you are vulnerable to exploitation and can we all agree to talk about that and ask personal questions and and trust each other and and address those issues not so much specific to this topic but something that i've emphasized um, from this office over over and over if someone has diminished cognitive capacity, somebody over the age of 65 has some cognitive decline, there is a 25% chance that there's a treatable condition there, by mm-hmm. the way. And so on the one hand, you may be preventing exploitation. On the other hand, you also may be beginning the investigation into a reversible condition, thyroid dysfunction, B12 deficiency, UTIs. There are so many things that can cause cognitive decline that if treated, returns a person to normal functioning. And it's extremely critical to recognize that. And of course, along these lines, uh, CMMS mandated several years ago that there there is to be some cognitive evaluation in the annual wellness evaluation for older individuals. But of course, information contained there is confidential. It's not something that's provided to a bank or to a police department as well. So what we find is that this is a multi-headed dragon that we are having to deal with. and. Uh, there is nothing quite like building trusting personal relationships. Well, I think your point about having a conversation is super important. The one thing we've noticed, uh, we put, as the police department, put out a lot of information uh, through Twitter and email or websites and on the news. We try to get people who are willing to talk about their circumstances to tell their story. So maybe somebody would recognize it uh, in their own circumstance and be able to report that or at least stop the, the financial loss. And... Um, it's just super important that every one of those conversations starts. We've noticed that people don't necessarily look at the websites all the time, uh, don't watch the news all the time. So we're trying to reach out with these presentations to civic groups and to churches and to uh, have people start a conversation. Go knock on your neighbor's door, talk with them, check in on a aunt you haven't seen in a while. Um, open communication with your parents and your siblings to say, hey, look, yeah, I've noticed this, what's going on kind of deal. And not to be threatened by that, because the more they talk about it, the more you recognize these situations that are happening and you can help that person out. Mm-hmm. So as a result, you know, hopefully as a, an influence of listening to a program like this, there is a dialogue that takes place out there that would not otherwise have been taking place. I think that is critically important. We're going to be coming to a break in a little bit, but I would like to follow up after the break on a study out of New York that said 12% of elder abuse was perpetrated by home health aides. Now, I know many really wonderful home health aides, 
but I also have heard as many stories as you all have heard regarding home health aides taking advantage of people. So um, I would like to see whether we might not be able to address that issue coming up after the break. Home health aides are in a very sacred position. They frequently have a key to the house. They know where things are in the house. They know very well over time the vulnerabilities and capabilities. They know the visiting patterns of family members. And again, I emphasize, I know wonderful, wonderful people in this area, but I also know there are scoundrels in this area. So when we come back from the break, let's talk about that issue. Let's go to break now. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. We are back for our fourth segment. Thank you for being with us. This has been uh, a discussion very informative to me, and I'm very grateful to Marilyn Shedd, president of First Financial Bank, and, uh, excuse me, to uh, Sergeant Jeff LaFrance, who is the head of the fraud division for the Abilene Police Department, for sharing your wisdom and your experiences. It takes time out of your day, and I, I hope that you will leave here feeling that you did something good for society in having this discussion. I certainly see this as important information. Now, the topic of home health aids. Oh, yeah. People started on oh, yes. uh, You know, the topic, uh, your statistic of 12% is really low from what I've experienced. It's more in the neighborhood 
of actual exploitation cases, probably closer to 50%. Right we're goodness. not talking home health care professionals. We're talking about people that get hired to take care of a person. Um, if you hire somebody, if you put it out on, uh, you know, the media sites or Craigslist or whatnot, and a person, you know, you advertise that you want somebody to take care of your mom for $8 an hour, you're going to get $8 an hour quality. I not see. knocking every single person, but that's generally the risk you're going to run. Um, those are the big ones we have the problems with. Is there some exploitation and, and abuse and uh, more formalized, formalized uh, nursing uh, care facilities and care workers? Yeah, but it's not as high. You know, they they and plus they have safeguards in place. If they have an employee who's doing these kind of things, they have safeguards in place that will identify that employee and actually, you know, uh, help bring that to a conclusion, you know, at some point. So. Well, you know, we have had a number of discussions on this program over the past eight months now of organizations like Home Instead and Visiting Angels that, that I refer to as non-Medicare home health agencies. And um, that stands as opposed to hiring someone that you've not met before that's responding to an ad that says, I'm limited in my abilities. I want you to come provide things for me and provide security for me and things like that, right? Yes, and if as long as they're current employees or associates of them. If they're former, there may be a reason, and that could be a red flag for you. If somebody says, I used to work here, or I used to be part of Visiting Angels, you might want confirmation as to why that person left. Very good point. Yeah. And of course, these agencies do screen for criminal background and things like that, and they are yes. bonded, and that does give a person a greater sense of security there, uh, which is one of the reasons why I have recommended them so much over the years to my patients and the families of my patients. Marilyn, from the standpoint of a bank managing, I don't know what you call them in the financial world, um, uh, structures or entities that have a lot of legal definition and legal requirements, I guess like a trust or something yes. like that. How helpful are those sorts of things here? They can be extremely helpful from the standpoint of oftentimes we become sort of a counseling service when it, when <laughs> it comes to the point where they, that individual does not have a trusted person to care for them and our, our company has a trust division as do many financial institutions throughout the country but we have a trust division and basically what that means is that that our, our trust division becomes trustee for that person they can do everything from taking over the entire financial handling of their affairs from paying bills to making sure they're well cared for uh, they can you know put them in, a, in an assisted living facility a nursing facility when it comes to that it's basically end-of-life care in a lot of circumstances where someone has no one to care for them and so it is counseling with that person to Again, build trust with mm -hmm. our, our person in the trust company that will take care of that person. And as you said, it is very much a counseling relationship. And you use the phrase, someone that has no one there. In this mobile society, 
You know, you have a set of parents that have raised their children, and their children may be living not just anywhere in the U.S. now, but in many areas of Europe and Asia as well. And a, a tool or an instrument like a trust may also be very helpful for that sort of thing because children cannot always respond as quickly as they would like to. You know, if they're in, in a different time zone, if they are in areas in which the, uh, the coverage for communication systems is not as good and things like that. So I had not previously thought of a trust until you brought that up, but that uh, sounds like it is a good solution for the right situation. It can be a great solution. Again, it takes time to communicate with someone to develop the, the fact that they are ready to let go of all of those responsibilities and make, making sure that they that they trust us enough mm -hmm. to do it for them. So very good. Well, very impressed with their program. And just you know, my understanding of it, obviously from the outside, is that um, they essentially work in a partnership with their customer to say these are your needs. We can release these burdens from you, and uh, you know it's still your money. But we're just going to help you administer it if that's okay with them. So they set up this partnership. They get a certain amount of money, but they help ensure that person's going to be taken care of for, you know, years to come. Uh, and we're talking about physically having somebody there. This might be uh, set up for somebody who has people locally, but maybe not trustworthy. Mm -hmm. So, Right. And that's that unfortunate circumstance. Sure. What is the term for that? Influenza? Uh, affluenza yeah. is the new yeah. term these days. <laughs> a lot of terms for that. Um, we have about three minutes to go in the program. What would the two of you see as warning signs for friends, neighbors, families to watch for in circumstances like this? I would say that the warning signs to me would be that if someone becomes totally dependent on someone else and develops an overbearing sense of, of dependency on that person with little communication with anyone else, and that can be so dependency and isolation dependency come to mind quickly. Dependency and isolation, and if again, as as we see any type of dependency like that, we just try to make sure that it is a trustworthy healthy. situation, yeah. healthy situation. Change in patterns, let's say. Change in patterns. You know, we look for um, unusual activity on an account. For example, we look at check numbers sometimes that are out of sequence. We look for ATM withdrawals or debit card withdrawals that are that would not be customary for an elderly account. We look for any type of you know loan application, credit card application for somebody that's elderly. Um, so there are all types of red flags that we look for. But I think the most important thing is just to keep on um, uh, just be watchful of what's going on. We can't by any means catch all of the circumstances. We have developed one little incentive for our employees that's called fraud busters mm -hmm. and if they do if they do uncover something that's fraudulent or something that's suspicious and reported to us or to the authorities uh, then we and it it is a legitimate concern. We give them fifty dollars. So it's you know, it, it is a you know, it's it an incentive. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that would make it that no, would that's make what the that's oh, what yeah. Abilene Police Department oh, okay, offers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank you for that. Again, a, a very good discussion, in my opinion, and a very helpful discussion. And I hope that you, our listening audience, will will follow up and be more observant in your communities and become part of the solution to the issues that we're discussing here. Next week, we're going to have Steve Abel from the Better Business Bureau talk with us, and he's going to take a little bit different approach on the same topic and talk more about what are the nature of the scams. And I think that um, uh, that will also be a very interesting, very challenging discussion. Jeff, thank you so much for sharing your experience here, for taking time out from your day. And Marilyn, thank you for the sharing of your wisdom and experience with our audience. And I will look forward to talking with all of you next week. Thank you for being with us this evening. Thank you for listening to Neuro Matters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week. We'll be right back.